I'd also really like to get your thoughts on the case of Casta Semenya. She's the double Olympic 800 metre champion. She has just had her appeal dismissed by the Court of Arbitration for Sport. She was aiming to halt the introduction of regulations to limit testosterone in female athletes with differences in sexual development. The court ruled the regulations are needed to ensure fair competition between athletes competing in events ranging from the 400 metres to the mile. Semenya and other affected athletes hope to compete, hoping to compete at the World Champs in September will have to start taking medication to lower their naturally high testosterone levels. So instead of trying to get drugs out of sport, they're introducing the Court of Arbitration for Sport, they're introducing drugs into sport to try and bring her down to what they deem to be a normal level. Now, Madeline Pape is an Australian former Olympic athlete. She competed in the 800 metres at the Beijing Olympics in 2008. She also competed against Semenya at the 2009 World Athletic Champs in Berlin. And she was very upset at the time to lose to her. Madeline Pape joins me now. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, thank you for taking the time. You've changed your mind about Casta Semenya. You competed against her. You lost to her. You were grumpy about it. What's made you change your mind? Yeah, you, you know, I have I have experienced um, a pretty big journey since 2009 when I first competed against Semenya, um, which was basically brought about because of a career-ending injury which saw me leave Australia and, and head to the United States to do a PhD in sociology. Um, and in the process of doing that, uh, I began to learn about the many uh, scientific, scientific and ethical complexities that surround uh, this issue of, of regulating the participation of women with high testosterone um, and was really found myself in a, in a situation where for the first time um, I had the sort of opportunity and the impetus to, um, to reflect more critically on my experiences in 2009 and the kinds of assumptions that I held at the time. Um, but I would have to say that the most decisive factor for me that really sort of pushed me over the line in terms of uh, moving me to a position where I now support um, women with high testosterone is becoming friends with, with women who do have high testosterone and, and uh, putting a face uh, to this issue and thinking through um, you know, the very personal dimension of this issue and realising that I wasn't prepared to exclude these women um, from from sport or deny them uh, the right to compete. So this is completely different. Women with high testosterone are completely different to women who have gender reassignment. Yeah, that's right. I think there is often um, a lot of conflation um, of uh, the experiences of trans women and women with high testosterone, and it's. And I think also um, people often bring their feelings about trans women to this issue, um, to this, uh, to how they form their opinions um, about uh, women with high testosterone. So I think it's important to be clear that um, these women are subject to different sets of regulations, um, and I think there is a need to have much more informed and and compassionate discussion about both groups of women, uh, but. Um, it's not the same topic um, and we shouldn't be conflating the, the two groups. 
What makes a champion? Is it is it a gift of DNA? So somebody, say, with a higher pain tolerance can perhaps um, have an edge over another competitor. Somebody with, I don't know, a faster muscle twitch can, can have an edge. Somebody with a higher testosterone level can have an edge. Is it just the genetic makeup that makes a champion? And, and you really have no control over that. There's certainly, I, I think, a, a luck of the draw element in terms of the sort of the genetic gifts that, that one is born with. But athletic performance is a really complex thing. And I mean, sports scientists have been grappling with this question for a long time. And uh, yes, there, there appear to be sometimes um, biological uh, factors that can contribute in some way to our athletic abilities. But there are also um, a whole host of social uh, factors that matter as well, um, uh, you know, in my case, I'm, a, I'm an Australian athlete or I was an Australian athlete and I really benefited from a system where there was really excellent sports science um, and I had access to great uh, um, nutrition uh, advice as well as sports medicine. So for me, that was, you know, the competitive advantage that I brought um, to my, my career as an athlete. Uh, so there are, there are a whole uh, range of factors that contribute and that's why it's been difficult, I think, um, for the IAAF to clearly show that testosterone is a decisive factor when it comes to athletic ability. So just having a higher testosterone level if you're a woman is not going to make you a world champion? I mean, that's the that's the question that, um, that has been debated uh, during this hearing and, and we're not privy yet to... Um, to what evidence the CAS has looked to to make their decision. But if we look back a few years to the, the appeal that another athlete brought to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, that was Judy Chand, and it was a similar set of regulations um, using testosterone to exclude certain women. Uh, what we saw during that appeal was just the, 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 the scientific uh, debates that uh, are just uh, unresolved when it comes to um, whether testosterone, when it's naturally occurring, um, actually has a decisive impact on athletic ability or not. It's, it's such a complex, athletic performance is so complex that it's very difficult to isolate a single biological factor and, and claim that it does have a measurable and decisive effect. Do they measure men for higher, bio, you know, higher biological testosterone and say, right, because he's got more, that's unfair to the other men in the crowd? Right, that's a great question. Uh, no, uh, men do not get uh, regulated in this way. Um, something that is interesting and which I think probably a, a lot of people aren't aware of is that within the elite uh, track and field community, there there are actually male athletes with very low testosterone. So, you know, this, this data that the IAAF has been relying on actually shows... Uh, a number of men with testosterone way down in the, the women's range, what they've designated as the women's range. Um, and yet these men are competing at the elite international level. So um, so no men are not police, but also when we look at the, uh, the, uh, the case of men, we can see that uh, for them also testosterone isn't necessarily the most decisive factor. It seems a very crude tool to judge somebody's ability to perform when you put it like that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, historically, when we look at these these efforts in women's sport, you know, since ever since the like um, 1950s, late 1950s, there have been efforts to try to um, 
find a biological trait that can be used to exclude certain women from competing. And repeatedly, we've seen that uh, it's um, it that you know bodies and athletic ability are too complex to to drill down to a single a single factor. Um, so it, it, it is going to be interesting now to see um, what happens in response to this decision because uh, I'm sure that we haven't seen the end of it and that there will continue to be continue to be scientific debates about whether the IAAF is actually justified in relying on this this sort of crude measure of um, of sex and athletic ability. And just finally, uh, Madeline, what do you think should happen to Casta Semenya? Uh, I mean, I can't speak for what. Uh, Casper is going to decide to do next in the face of this decision or what her legal team will decide to do. Perhaps they're going to pursue um, some appeal route or a different kind of um, uh, legal avenue, perhaps human, human rights tribunals. Um, they, perhaps they're going to explore those options. Um, but uh, I think if Semenya steps away from the sport and chooses not to compete anymore, that it's going to be a real loss for the sport of track and field. Uh, I mean, I think I think Semenya has brought a lot to to the sport and has really pushed us to think about the complexities of sex difference and testosterone uh, in ways that we weren't doing before. Um, and in that way, she's uh, made a really important contribution um, to the sport. Um, and I think, you know, this issue aside, she's a really colourful character with a great personal story who is an amazing competitor. Uh, and I think we're really going to lose a great role model and icon for the sport if she decides not to compete anymore. I thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to speak with you. That was Madeline Pape. She's a PhD candidate in sociology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and as I said earlier, she competed in the 800 metres for Australia at the Beijing Olympics in 2008, the world champs against Casta Semenya in 2009, and has had a complete change of heart about uh, Semenya's ability to be able to race against other women in elite events.